they say that following Jesus isn't easy because following Jesus means swimming against the tide of popular opinion. Following Jesus all too often, in fact, most of the time, means going in the opposite direction. That's why we need power, power unlimited, to follow Jesus. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're heading into the final message in this series, Power Unlimited. And I can't help myself. We're going to get really, really practical in terms of seeing that power unleashed in your life. Amen. So let's head into God's Word. We've all heard of those word associations tests that psychologists use. You know, they say black, you say white. They say rabbit, you say carrot. Day, night, God, mm, love, devil, mm, evil, Bible, mm, mm, Bible. Now, how do you respond to that? Stuffy, old, irrelevant? Well, different people will have some different views. But actually, in Australia where I live, the Bible is one of the least trusted of all historical documents. Over the last few weeks on the program, we've been talking about the incredible power that we unlock when we read the Bible. But this thing that we call the Bible, it's a big book. It's, it's massive and it can be daunting. So today I thought it might be useful just to have a look and see what this Bible is exactly. I want to share with you a secret. It's sad but true. I never read a book cover to cover until I was well into my 20s. I, I managed to get through school and university and did pretty well, I might add, without ever reading a book from beginning to end. I remember at university in the first year English, we studied the book Wuthering Heights, which absolutely bored me to tears. I'm sorry, but I never opened the book once. There are companies that publish crib notes, you know, the summary of the book and a, and a summary of what's in it and a summary of what some critics say. So I just quickly read the crib notes, wrote essays and did by and large reasonably well. And I never, ever liked libraries either. You know how libraries have that kind of dusty, dank smell? All of them are the same. Every library on the planet has the same smell. I thought about it for a while and I thought, Bernie, why don't you like libraries? Why did it take you so long to read your first book? The answer, I guess, has two parts. Firstly, libraries for me always felt really big and inaccessible. They have tens of thousands of books. And in the old days, when I was at university, they had card systems for accessing or finding things. I mean, these days they have computers. That old card system had what they called the Dewey Decimal Classification System. And finding anything just took so incredibly long. And secondly, when you did find the stuff, there was always so much of it. There was so much time involved to, I don't know, look through all those books and research them. I mean, some people are natural bookworms. Well, I'm not. And still, frankly, I don't like libraries. I'm sorry if you're a librarian. I just don't like libraries. I haven't darkened the doorstep of one since I finished my last degree quite a few years ago now. You know something? I think for a lot of people, the Bible is exactly like that. It feels big and dusty and inaccessible. There are many, many people who wouldn't mind having a read, but for goodness sakes, where do you start? Well, today, let's break it down a bit. Let's make it a bit more accessible. Remember when I started at Bible college only a few months after becoming a Christian, everyone took for granted that we knew about the Bible. The reality was I didn't, and my hunch is I wasn't alone. 
Let's unpack it a bit. Let's, let's demystify it a bit. All of a sudden, you know, it becomes a whole bunch more accessible. The thing that we call the Bible is made up of 66 books written by different people over somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 years. That's the kind of period over which the Bible was written. And it wasn't just written by different people, but at different times. And the last book was written, well, almost 2,000 years ago. There are essentially two parts of the Bible. This was complete news to me when I first opened it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when I started at Bible college, I didn't know which one was which. The Old Testament, well, the Old Testament is God's story and the story of how he interacted with and engaged his chosen people, the Israelites. The Old Testament was written completely B.C., before Christ, before Jesus came on the earth. What Christians call the Old Testament is in fact exactly the same as the Jewish Hebrew Scriptures. Jews still use those same Scriptures today. Christians call that the Old Testament. It's written mostly in the original language of Hebrew, the language of the Jews. Now, there's small parts of books like Daniel which were written in a language called Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus actually spoke. But by and large, the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language. And what we have today, the thing that we call the Old Testament, is an English translation of that. Now, there are lots of funny names of books, Deuteronomy and Judges and Chronicles, and there's Ezekiel. There are 39 separate books in the Old Testament, and there are four main parts to the Old Testament. The first five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy, are the Jewish or the Hebrew law, the Torah. And when you go from Joshua through to Ezra and Nehemiah, and that's kind of the history of what God did and how his people responded. Thirdly, after that, there are the wisdom books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon and Lamentations. And the rest of the books in the Old Testament are written by men called prophets, men whom God called to call his people back unto him. That's the Old Testament. It's a story of God engaging with God's people, the Israelites. And the New Testament is 27 books. Now, it was mostly written in the Greek language. The first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are the gospel accounts. They're the historical accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry. The next book, the book of Acts, is the story of the first 20 or so years of the church after Jesus rose again to be with his father. Then there are a whole bunch of letters called the epistles from people like Peter and John and Paul written to the various churches that they were involved in, or in some cases, to individuals. Now, this may be old hat to some, but I know that to many people, just a simple understanding of the basic structure of the Bible is going to really help. I know that when I was a new Christian, no one, no one ever bothered to explain this stuff to me. <laughs> I wish they had. I have to tell you, that thing that they call the Bible was a real problem for me. I mean, first coming to grips with the fact that it is what it says it is, the Word of God, but then just getting into it. It's made up of 66 separate books written over somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 years at different times, in different places, in different cultures. So there are words and names and places and concepts and, and ways of thinking that just aren't familiar to us. We're continuing today in our series, Power Unlimited, because that's what God's Word brings into our lives. So right now, we're going to get down and really practical on just how to get into the Bible, because unless we do, we're going to miss out on much of the power that God wants to pour into our lives. 
Over the years, I've discovered a few very simple helps or resources that have made such a difference in making sense of God's Word. You see, it turns out that there's a whole bunch of people much smarter than you or me who've done some great research and put the information together in such easy, usable ways and all their work makes getting into God's Word, the Bible, so much easier for the likes of us. Today, I just want to share some of those resources with you. Remember 20 or so years ago, just after I became a Christian, I started attending a tiny little Baptist church in the southern suburbs of Sydney, a little place called Oyster Bay. Our pastor, Pastor Phil Littlejohn, was a passionate and gifted Bible teacher, and that man has had a huge impact on my life. Now, as well as Sunday services, the church used to have these little home Bible studies, and we'd meet one night a week in someone's house. In our small group, five of us would get together. And at the time, the particular little home fellowship that I joined was studying the Old Testament book of Hosea. So, so we'd lob in there each Wednesday evening, we'd have a cup of tea and some fellowship, and then we'd sit down and do a Bible study together. And right through that book, over and over again, Hosea talks about Ephraim. That word is mentioned 29 times in the book of Hosea. So I remember asking these people, most of them had been Christians for a lot longer than me. I said, okay, we want to understand this. Who or what is this Ephraim thing? I mean, Hosea kept talking about it, and so it seemed to me quite central to what he was trying to say. But you know something? No one could tell me who or what Ephraim was. Now, it turns out that Ephraim was one of the tribes of Israel. Ephraim was one of Joseph's sons, and there's a whole history around this tribe and how they rebelled against God. But we didn't know that in the Bible study. So a lot of what God was saying to us or trying to say to us through this amazingly powerful book of Hosea, well, it was frankly lost on us. And that sort of thing happens a lot more than you might think. Consider the story of the Good Samaritan. It loses its whole meaning if you don't understand the Samaritans, who they were, and what the Jews thought of them. Now, when Jesus told that story to the assembled masses, they all knew the Samaritans and who they were, but we don't know that. And there are names and places and concepts and and ways of thinking in the Bible that are foreign to us because we're separated from them by time and by culture. It might have made sense to the people back then, but not us now. And unless we understand those things, we miss out on the richness, on the, on the gravity, on the power of what God is trying to say to us. I remember coming to grips with the Jewish system of blood sacrifice in the Old Testament. Now, I kind of think about blood sacrifice, and it's pretty ghastly to me here and now, but it's something I really had to understand to comprehend what Jesus did for me on the cross. So I decided... I was going to find out, not just skim the surface, not read through a story and have them talk about Ephraim or Samaria or all those other things I didn't know about and miss out on what God was trying to say to me through the story. Now, these accounts were written such a long time ago and God has preserved them and kept them accurate for us here and now, but there is indeed a gap of culture and time in history that we have to bridge to understand completely what's happening in what's been written. I mean, after all, if the Bible is God's word and if God is speaking to us through it, I decided I needed to know what he was saying. And surprisingly, that's not as difficult as I thought it would be. Right now, I'm going to talk about a handful of really simple resources that made absolutely the world of difference. The first one was my Bible, a simple English translation, not the King James with the these and the thou arts. There are many good contemporary language translations available to you and me today. 
The new international version, or the NIV as it's called, is really popular. 